0: Just before I I dive in a little further, I don't know if we've explained why this is happening. We had a bulb malfunction this morning, and so our frontline team just very quickly did a whole MacGyver slash A-team put-together thing and built this in, I'm serious, like in 10 minutes. So I want to give them a hand this morning because (laughs) the the troops rallied and and made this happen for us this morning, and it was really important because... I wanted us to see that video this morning as we started. Uh, in this series, we, we are looking at some of the more challenging questions uh, surrounding the Christian faith. And uh, we do that with the understanding, knowing that in a crowd like this, in, in, a, in a group this size, we're going to have people coming from, from a number of different angles, a number of different backgrounds uh, here at uh, Crosspoint this morning. So, you know, maybe you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus, but you've been wrestling with some doubts or you've had some questions about your own Christian faith, and we acknowledge that. I mean, we, we think that doubters should be welcome. Doubt, skeptics are, are welcome to be part of our community here, and, and we want to we talk about those questions. Or, or maybe you're here today, and, and you are at church for the first time. Maybe you came with a friend. Maybe uh, you, you just decided to check out and start kicking the tires around faith, and you've got some questions, and, and some of the questions that you have are, are being roadblocks to you or, or stumbling blocks to you as you try to push forward in your faith. Or maybe you're just here this morning, and uh, you've been asked some questions. You're fully convinced in your heart, and you're fully convinced in your mind about what you believe, but you've had trouble answering some of the questions that people have. As I said uh, since the beginning of this series, what we're trying to do in this series is to be helpful. And we're hoping that as we walk through these questions in the weeks ahead, that uh, you will find some of the answers you have to the faith questions um, that that are before you. So today, uh, just diving in, uh, the question that we are going to jump right into is, is it arrogant to believe in one truth? And I'm sure a number of you have seen that video or heard the story of the elephant before. How many of you have seen that before or heard that before? No, it's very new? Okay. Well, wow. we're going we're gonna to have a chance to talk about that a little bit later. But um, I think that this question is, for me, is one of the more common questions that people have in our culture today. Uh, See, we live in a world that we have access to many religions, many cultures, many worldviews, and one of the common assumptions that is out there in our culture today is that these religions, they're all essentially the same. Uh, And we see this uh, illustrated in the video that we started with this morning, is that maybe we're just kind of seeing it from different angles, but at the end of the day, they're all basically the same and moving in the same direction. And... Moreover, because that's the general cultural sentiment that's out there in our culture today, for anybody to say, to stand up and say that their beliefs, their religion is more true or perhaps more valid than another is just simply arrogant. It's an arrogant statement to say that. Uh, Oprah Winfrey, I think, does a good job of summarizing this view. Here's what she says. She says, one of the biggest mistakes humans make is to believe there's only one way. Actually, actually, there are many diverse paths leading to God. And this just, just seems to be this general assumption that's in, in, our, in our culture today. And so when Christians try and make absolute or exclusive truth claims, uh, they, they get shot down because, of course, that go, kind of goes against the grain of our culture. Now, because we assume this as a culture, what we tend to do is we, uh, we're more pragmatists when it comes to religion. We're, we're very practical people when it comes to religion. In other words, the question for us is not whether or not something is true or not. The question for us is whether or not something works or not. What works for you is the question that we ask. So if somebody follows a different belief system than us, we're very, very quick to say, well, if that works for you and if that makes you happy, then that's all that matters. Uh, And as a result of that, we're also very, very quick and very, we find it easy to kind of mix and match religions, right? So we're dabblers, we're we're people at the buffet, right? So we'll we'll pull in different thoughts and different concepts from different religions to kind of suit our personal needs. Because here's the thing is if if they're all essentially the same, then it really doesn't matter what you believe. What matters is what works for you. And so the result is we, we, we're able to create our own customized religion that fits in with our interests or fits in with our temperament. Um, and this, of course, aligns very much with being a consumerist society, right? So we treat religion almost like a commodity that we're able to pull from and put together our own package. So it's, it's, a, it's a buffet kind of religion. It's a build-a-bear religion that's before us in this pluralistic, uh, very pragmatic culture that we live in. Now, we see this played out in the movie Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. Don't put that slide up yet, Mark. Uh, I'll I'll get you a moment there. Um, There's this this movie called Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. Ricky Bobby is played by Will Ferrell. He's a professional race car driver, okay, in the movie, Um, and He's rising to success, and there's this hilarious scene in the movie where he crashes his car in a professional race. He runs out of his car, and he's delusional. He doesn't know where he is, and he thinks that he's on fire, but he's not on fire, okay? And so he starts running around the track. He stop, drops and rolls. He's patting himself out, trying to put out this delusional fire. Um, a, and, and then he strips down to his underwear, and he starts running around and still trying to put out the fire. That's the reason why I'm not showing you the clip this morning, because uh, he's running around in his underwear. However, there's this point where he can't put out the fire himself, and so he starts calling out to spiritual entities. He starts looking for supernatural assistance to help him put out his delusional flame. And... Uh, what he says is actually the source of hundreds of online memes, maybe thousands of online memes and retweets and reposts because what he says is really, really funny. Okay, here's what he says. He says, help me, Jesus. Help me, Jewish God. Help me, Allah. Help me, Tom Cruise. Use your witchcraft to get the fire off of me. Help me, Oprah Winfrey. (laughs) Now, it's 10 times more funny if you see the clip, but... um, The irony of this clip, okay, is just simply this. The irony is, is that Ricky Bobby is a man who is completely non-religious. He's he's got no true essential faith system. But when he's in trouble, he reaches out to whatever God is available to help him. For him, the question is not what's true. For him, the question is, just to reinforce the point, what works? What works for him? And what God is going to work to put out his fire, whether it's Oprah or Tom Cruise. And this is the religious landscape we find ourselves in in our times. So it's not surprising. I say all that to say this. It is not surprising that when Christianity says, hey, we believe in one truth, or we believe in one God, we believe in one way, that people say, whoa, hold on, wait a minute. How can you make exclusive claims like that? Isn't that kind of arrogant to have these truth claims? How can you believe that? So that's the question. How can Christians believe in one truth? How can Christians make these exclusive truth claims? And that's the question that I want us to consider this morning. But before we do this, before we dive into that, I'm going to talk about some considerations. I I just need to unpack a couple of concepts for you this morning, because I think these are really, really important if we're going to have this conversation. Um, And so that we're speaking the same language, and essentially we're not talking past each other as I unpack this. I want to point out that there is a difference between what is called cultural pluralism and and ideological pluralism. There's a difference between cultural pluralism and ideological pluralism. Let me talk to you about cultural pluralism. Um, These are not everyday words, so I need to unpack them for you. Cultural pluralism is this general assumption, this understanding that everyone should treat all religions with respect, dignity, and tolerance. It means that we acknowledge that there are many different religions in our culture, uh, but we choose to live together in peace and harmony regardless of what our differences are. And I think that most of us here today would agree that cultural pluralism is a good idea. And as it turns out, the Bible actually teaches this. The Bible teaches that Christians should respect those who think or believe differently than they do. There are many examples of this. Uh, last week I gave you a scripture. I'm going to read it for you again this morning because I think it's an important scripture to guide us as we go through this series together. The Apostle Peter writes this in 1 Peter chapter 3. He says, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer. Okay, don't check your brains at the door. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give you the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. How do we talk with others as followers of Jesus? Peter says, do it with gentleness and respect. It doesn't matter what their faith background is, it doesn't matter if they're Buddhist or Hindu, Uh, it doesn't matter if they're atheist, it doesn't matter. It's not just what we say that matters. It's how we say what we say that matters, and I think in this, Christians have some alignment with the sentiments of cultural pluralism. We treat others with dignity and respect. And CrossPoint, if you're part of our CrossPoint community, let me just say that this is our posture. This will always be our posture. Um, we, we we will treat other faith uh, systems, other religions, with dignity and respect at all times. That's how we talk. That's how we have conversations. Because this is what love looks like as followers of Jesus. Now, ideological pluralism is different than cultural pluralism. Ideological pluralism takes cultural pluralism one step further. So not only do we respect people of all different religions, we also believe that all religions are equally true and valid. In other words, no religion should be able to say that they're more true or more valid than all other religions. No religion can make exclusive truth claims. And in our culture today, in uh, in the last number of decades, there has been this slow shift in the general sentiment of our culture away from cultural pluralism, and we have moved towards ideological or what people would call metaphysical pluralism. Our beliefs have changed. We used to be just cultural pluralists, but now, almost radically, we're ideological pluralists. And so this morning, in the remainder of our time together, I want to address this, ideological pluralism. I'm not going to address cultural pluralism, because I think I already have. And what I want to do this morning is I just want to lay before you four considerations of why it's not arrogant to believe in one truth. Four considerations. Here's the first one. Every major world religion makes exclusive truth claims. If we look closely, for example, at the five major world religions, Christianity, Judaism, Buddhism, Islam, and Hinduism, we discover that each one of them actually makes an exclusive truth claim. In other words, they say, this is what reality looks like, this is what God looks like, or this is what the purpose and destiny of life is. These are their major points. And they also claim that Obtaining their religious goals can be met through the pathway that their particular religion prescribes. Now, we might ask the question, well, isn't exclusivity, being that exclusive, isn't that the very problem with religion? Here's something to consider. We make truth claims all the time in every arena of life, whether it's with science, whether it's mathematics, uh, whether it's history. We're always making truth claims. Why should religion be any different. Truth by its very nature is exclusive. Let me say that again. Truth by its very nature is exclusive. So when we accept anything is truth, when you say that is true, we are acting exclusively. So when you state that something is true, you are saying that anything contrary to that truth is untrue. Philosophers and logicians call this the, um, the principle of non-contradiction. All truth is exclusive. It doesn't matter what truth, whether it's the truth of kindergarten teachers, shop mechanics, historians, scientists, mathematicians, atheists, theists. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what category you find yourself in. All truth, by its very nature, is exclusive. So when Christians, of course, say that something is true, yes, they are being exclusive. But keep in mind, they're not being any more exclusive than any of the other world religions. So atheists, Muslims, Hindus... They all say something, and that is being exclusive. All faith systems have an exclusive view of reality. So Ravi Zacharias, he's a Christian apologist. He's born in Delhi, India. He grew up in a world with many gods. Here's what he says. All religions are not the same. All religions do not point to God. All religions do not say all religions are the same. At the heart of every religion is an uncompromising commitment to a particular way of defining who God is or not, and accordingly, of defining life's purpose. Anyone who claims that all religions are the same betrays not only an ignorance of all religions, but also a caricatured view of even the best-known ones. Every religion at its core is exclusive. So that's the first idea that I put out for your consideration. Here's the second idea for your consideration, is that the world's religions do not share the same goal. One of the most common beliefs people have in our culture, okay, as I've said already, is that all religions are essentially the same. Moreover, that basically all religions are searching for the same thing. That's the quote of what Oprah said. All religions are kind of looking for the same thing. They're all looking for eternal salvation. They're all looking for God. They're all moving towards this final conclusion. All paths lead to God, and so forth. But what this assumes is that all religions actually share the same goal, which just isn't true. Many of the world's religions aren't trying to be saved. They aren't trying to get to heaven. They're not, some of them don't even believe in God or a God. So, for example, Hindus are trying to be liberated from the cycle of reincarnation through different avenues like meditation or asceticism. So they believe in many gods. They actually believe in very multiple levels of reality. Muslims believe that the ultimate goal in life is submission to the absolute will of the God Allah. And if you do that, in the end, it ultimately leads you to paradise. Buddhists... The ultimate concern for many Buddhists is finding liberation in nirvana, which means to reach the end of consciousness and individuality. The the goal really is to escape suffering, right, and being rid of desire here in this life. And generally speaking, uh, Buddhists do not believe in God, do not believe in our God. They're actually very agnostic in their belief of God. So there are significant differences in the goals of the world's religions. And the failed assumption behind pluralism is just this, is that these differences between all of these different world religions, they're kind of superficial or they're insignificant. They don't really matter. But for those religions, they are not (laughs) insignificant. They do matter. Most religions don't share the same goal. They have radically different views of reality. So it's like saying that turtles and tanks are the same because they have hard outer shells. I mean, they kind of look alike. There's some similarities here. But in their essence, they're very, very different. It's also like saying uh, lawn bowling is the same as ultimate fighting, okay? Uh, They're both standing on two legs and they're kind of in an arena and it's kind of a sport. I would question lawn bowling, sorry lawn bowlers, okay? Um, Well, I wouldn't, but Ronda Rousey sure would, okay? If you have a problem with uh, that, talk to Ronda, okay? Um, But yes, they're kind of the same, but they're actually very, very different in their essence. Um, Three weeks ago, I was in Phuket, Thailand and uh, working with Crosspoint and a a team that we'd sent there, um, kind of exploring what our partners for Freedom International is doing, working with um, women and children who are being trafficked, who are being uh, sold into prostitution. And uh, the interesting thing about Phuket, Thailand is uh, Thailand itself is 95% Buddhist. Okay. 1% of the population in Thailand are Christian. Now, we were, in, we were in Phuket, Thailand, which is further to the south, and, and in the southern part of Thailand, there's a tremendous uh, influx and influence of Islam, of, of the Muslim community, because uh, of what's happening along the coastal islands and, and what there, which are highly populated by Muslims. And so southern uh, Phuket is very, very much Muslim. Now, to top it all off, so you're already beginning to see this is a very religiously eclectic society that's there. To top it all off, uh, a number of the homes, as you walk down the streets, you will see tiny little shrines in the front of the houses. And before these shrines, you'll see a number of different offerings and sacrifices that are made Uh, because a large number of those in Thailand are also animists. In other words, they believe in a world of spirits, and they believe it's important to uh, appease the spirits, these demigods that are among them, lest they find themselves in trouble with them. So they have these little house shrines to different spirits, and they have those there. So a very, very, very eclectic culture that is there. But let me just say this to you. If I was to go up to a Buddhist there in Thailand and say, oh, what you believe is essentially the same as what Christians believe, and it's essentially the same as what Muslims believe, and it's essentially the same as what animists believe, they would say, you're crazy. There's no way. If I went to, down to the mosque, and we did go to a mosque, and we spent some time there, and, and if I were to say that same thing to them, they would, they would look at me in disbelief. And the reality is that in the real world, on the ground, in the world, if you were to talk to dedicated, devoted, thinking believers in each of these world religions, they would say they are not essentially all the same. Conceptually, the idea of pluralism really comes from the West, from our kind of a culture, and from the East, and a Hindu culture, of course, they're certainly more willing to accept other different world religions. But essentially, it, it's a belief system that, that's, that's kind of come together in the hallowed halls of academia or in a, in a world of politics and, 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 and our, our liberal thought. But it's not really grounded in a true knowledge of what these world religions actually believe. Okay, third. Uh, here's the third consideration: Not all religions are equally valid. Okay. Not all religions are equally valid. This is the one. This is the one that is probably the most controversial and it's the most scandalous for anybody to say this in a Canadian culture. Before you turn me off, okay, before you turn the radio dial really down, um, it, we, I know we live in a, in a world of hyper-inclusion. And you might be asking me this morning, okay, are you saying that some religions are better than others? Are you saying that? Well, before I answer that, let me ask you what you think about this. What do you think? Let me throw out some examples for your consideration. Uh, Jim Jones and his followers. Uh, Jimmy Jones was an American religious cult leader. He had these very unique views about God, the world, socialism, even himself. In 1978, he uh, he convinced his people to commit mass suicide. 918 of his followers drank cyanide and died. 304 of them were children. They did this... um, This is where the popular expression, don't drink the Kool-Aid, comes from. It comes from Jimmy Jones, okay? That's example number one. Example number two, the Ammonites. Ammonites were an ancient group of people who were at war with Israel. Um, They worshipped this astral deity who was known as Molech. Uh, Worship of Molech included human sacrifice. A lot of scholars believe that not only was it human sacrifice, but it was uh, the sacrifice of babies, and they sacrificed them by burning them to death alive. That's the Ammonites. Third example, Branch Davidians. This is a religious group that was under the leadership of David Koresh. Uh, You maybe remember the Waco siege in 1993. Uh, Koresh proclaimed himself as the final prophet of this movement. Um, He took on spiritual wives, some of them as young as the age of 12 because he wanted to populate the world with world leaders. Um, His compound in Waco, Texas was sieged by government officials. 76 of the 85 Branch Davidians died in that siege. David Koresh was one of them. Now, Religions, extreme examples, okay? But the question that we have before us this morning is, are all religions equally true and valid? And of course, most reasonable people would say, well, not those ones, right? Not the Jonestown people, right? Not the Ammonites, not the Branch Davidians. But then the question is this, which religions would you accept as true and valid? Because here's the thing. It's not hard to start a new religion. Anyone in here could start a new religion today. As a matter of fact, there are thousands of new religions that are being started all the time in Canada, in the United States, and of course, in other parts of the world. It is not difficult to start a new religion. But I don't know anybody who would say that every new religion is equally valid uh, compared to all the rest, or equally true. The moment we concede that... Some religions are more valid than others is the moment when pluralism falls apart. Let me say that again. The moment we can see that some religions are more valid than others is the moment when pluralism just kind of falls apart. And here's why. Because that means that we have in our minds a set of criteria that's used to define what is in and what is out. And the moment you start thinking about criteria is the moment when all things are not equally true and valid because you have criteria, you have conceded there are some things that are true and valid, and there are things that are not equally true and valid. And that goes against the the basic baseline belief of pluralism. So let's think of it another way. If somebody were to say to you that all cars are equally fast, you would say that's not true, especially if you were to drive my Ford Ranger, okay? Are all cars equally fast? if I, if I asked you to believe that, I would say, why do you believe that? Why do you believe that all, all, all our cars are equally fast? Or what's the fastest car in the world? Immediately, you would start thinking of criteria, right? You would think of acceleration. You would think of top speed. You would think of resistance to certain elements, right? Snow or whatever. Uh, you would think of, okay, is the race in a circle? Then you think about turning capacity and all this. You would start developing criteria in your mind. And nobody would say that the Ford Pinto is the fastest car in the world. I don't know if any of you remember the Ford Pinto. Some of you weren't even born yet. Uh, but in the 70s, there was this thing called the exploding Pinto, okay? Um, they got the car out real quick, but what they didn't realize is if you hit, bump the car and it hit the gas tank, these Pintos were exploding all over the place. Now, it may have been the fastest car to market, okay? But it's not the fastest car in the world. Why do you say that? Well, because you have criteria. You would say that it's invalid to say that... Uh, Pinto is um, the fastest car. And that's the point that we're really trying to make here. The moment you start talking about criteria is the moment that pluralism... So what are you left with? Well, you're left with saying, well, what are the criteria then? How do we determine validity? How do we determine truth? And that's really what this is all about. This is the dialogue we're inviting you into. How do you determine validity? How do you determine truth? Because the challenges in our culture is that we, we claim to be pluralists, but at the end of the day, we're actually really just inconsistent. We're pluralists to a point. But deep down inside, we know that pluralism, well, it really doesn't make sense. Here's the fourth point, fourth consideration for you this morning. The Bible makes exclusive truth claims about Jesus. Let's have a look at what Jesus said in John 14, 6. Jesus said this of himself. He said, I am the way, and I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's a pretty exclusive truth claim that Jesus made. Here's what the apostles said, uh, the, the, other, uh, the followers of Jesus. They affirmed this same thing. Uh, in Acts chapter 4, and verse 12, the good Dr. Luke writes this, um, quoting the apostles, Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind By which we must be saved. And the Apostle John writes this in 1 John chapter 5. He says, this is a testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Those are those are some pretty significant, exclusive truth claims that the Bible makes about Jesus and about the the Bible's own Christian faith religion. Those are significant, okay? Jesus and the apostles present this consistent, exclusive view of reality. And and we're we're left with this question, well, what do we do with that? And this is what Christians are, are, are considering. What do we do with that? It's important to understand that when Christians make exclusive truth claims about their faith, they're not simply trying to be belligerent. They're not simply trying to be controversial. What they are doing is they're being faithful to the Bible, their ultimate source of truth and belief. They are also following in the tradition of the apostles and their church fathers, those who have gone before them. And they're actually living in agreement with their God, Jesus himself, and what Jesus says and proclaims about himself. Now, the thing to keep in mind is that when Christ followers believe this, they're not simply making a blind leap into the dark. They're not checking their brains at the door. They're not just making stuff up as they go along. There are reasons why they believe You know, we talked about criteria before. There are criteria that are used to determine the reasonableness of their faith. Criteria such as history, and and science, and reason, and a personal experience. And Christians often ask themselves questions like this. Why does faith in Christ provide the best answers to some of life's deepest questions? Or can the Christian faith be substantiated through historical evidence and reason? Or, which religions out there in the world, which one provides the most coherent view of reality? Now, of course, we don't have time to look at all of these questions today, but the reason I bring them up is I want to encourage you to stick with us for the next five weeks in this series. Because these are, in fact, the questions that we're going to be looking at. These are the questions we're going to examine to determine the validity of the Christian faith. And I think what we'll discover together is that there's, you know, if you're, especially if you're investigating faith today, if you peel back the layers, you'll discover, oh, wow, there is some deep-rooted thought and reason and evidence behind what Christians actually believe. And so we just want to invite you into that journey uh, to stick with us for the next five weeks, to so come check us out next week, or if you're watching online, to keep watching online. Now, here's the question. What about the elephant? Not the elephant in the room, but the elephant. You know, we talked about the elephant earlier on. Let's get back to that elephant video that we started with earlier. The idea is that each of the blind men, you know, he's touching a different part of the elephant, but each of the blind men is blind, okay? So because he's blind, he cannot see. They cannot see the whole elephant. And all they can do is they can just describe a different part of the elephant, okay? Um, So this illustration is often used to demonstrate a pluralistic view of God and truth. Essentially, all the religions of the world are those blind men, right? And uh, they have a grasp on a part of the truth, the spirituality, but none of the world's religions can claim to have a, a total comprehensive vision of the truth. All they're seeing is just one small part, right? And the, they can only see it because they're blind. They don't see the big picture. And and, I, and I'll just say, I mean, I, I understand the feeling behind this illustration? Because the feeling behind is we we want to be inclusive. We value inclusivity. You know, and as believers in Christ, we value inclusivity as well. Jesus was one of the most radically inclusive people of his day, and particularly of our day. I mean, think of all the people who followed after Jesus. Zealots, tax collectors, men, women, people of different social economic strata, people who were marginalized. He welcomed all of these people to come to follow him, to join his his crew, his, uh, his faith community. So as a foundation, Christianity is a radically inclusive faith system. We, we, we believe here at Crosspoint, I mean, what the Bible teaches is that no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what you've done, God is open to you. God is standing at the door and invites you into a life-giving supernatural relationship with him. Christianity at its core is, is radically inclusive with an exclusive set of beliefs. So I understand that we want Ah, we want to get our heads around, what do we do with all these world religions that are out there? I understand the thinking behind it. (coughs) So it feels like a great way to get around the problem of multiple world religions. But here's where the illustration backfires. Here's the first thing. First of all, it assumes that there is an elephant. It assumes that there is an elephant. And here's the thing, It, it is just an assumption. There is no evidence, there is no reason... There's no trail of breadcrumbs. There is nothing to substantiate the existence of an elephant. And so this assumption is, in essence, a pure faith statement. A pure faith statement. An absolute blind leap into the dark that an elephant actually exists. Second, it makes an arrogant claim. Here it is. The story is told, when you hear the story... It is told from the vantage point of someone who can actually see. Which means that all the world's religions are blind, and which means that if you accept this position, you are claiming that you are the one who sees. You are the one who sees. Which means you have a better grasp on reality, a more comprehensive vision that none of the world's religions have. You see the elephant. Even though all the world's religions don't, which have thousands of years of history, which have millions of followers, of all people, you are the one who sees, which, especially if it's a blind leap in the dark, is a pretty arrogant claim. (coughs) Could it be? Could it be that the pluralist's claim of the elephant is actually more arrogant than the exclusivist's claim? Could it be? So, the great missiologist and thinker, Leslie Newbigin, he put it this way, just to summarize. So said, the story is constantly told in order to neutralize the affirmation of the great religions. To suggest that they learn humility and recognize that none of them can have more than one aspect of the truth. But, of course, the real point of the story <coughs> is the exact opposite. The story is told by someone who can see and is the immensely arrogant claim of the one who sees the full truth of all the world's religions are only groping after. It embodies the claim to know the full reality, which it claims that religions can't. All right, I want to land the plane this morning um, because we've started to circle around the airport. And I hope we've seen that it's pretty difficult to make the case that all world religions are equally valid or true. I hope we also see that it's inconsistent to say that exclusive truth claims um, are arrogant. But one final question that people might have. Some might say, it doesn't really matter what you believe, does it, as long as you're sincere? Like, isn't sincerity what really matters the most? And that raises a good question. Is sincerity enough? Well, let me talk to you about Florence Foster Jenkins. I don't know if you've ever heard of Florence. Um, For much of her life, Florence dreamed of becoming a world-class operatic vocalist. Okay. But life never gave her the opportunity Uh, at a young age. She was kind of launched into other aspects of her career. But when she was in her 50s, she came into this very, very large sum of money. And as a result, she decided, hey, I got this money. I got free time. I'm going to fund my own musical career. So she started very quickly, started cutting records. Uh, As a matter of fact, she... uh, Um, started holding annual recitals at the Ritz-Carlton in New York in the 1930s and 1940s. She began to grow in popularity. And in 1944, her final uh, major concert, at the age of 76, she did this benefit concert, and she packed out Carnegie Hall. Seriously, the moment they knew that Florence Foster Jenkins was coming to sing, people lined up for blocks. And then eventually the house filled up and they had to turn people away because, you know, back then they didn't have online ticket purchases So she packed out Carnegie Hall, people lining up to hear her. But here's the most interesting part about Florence's story. Florence could not sing. She could barely sing. She was uh, famously known as the tone-deaf diva, or the terror of the high seas. Seriously, when she started singing, it sounded like two cats fighting in a deep fire. That's how bad it was. Terrible. Awful. As a matter of fact, for your listening pleasure this morning... I've captured one of her original recordings on vinyl and converted it to digital and we're going to have the chance to listen to. Let's turn that up. Um, let's listen to Florence. <laughs> Let's give her a hand. Well done, Florence. Okay. Um, here's what we learned from Miss Jenkins. You might be sincere, but you can be sincerely wrong. And the interesting thing about her is, is for most of it, she didn't know that she was that bad. She just thought, oh, people are coming to hear me sing. They really like me, okay? Because there's no Twitter there. There's no Facebook. You, don't, you know, her husband's hiding the newspapers so that they, she can't read the reviews. People will say, it doesn't matter what you believe so long as you're sincere. But it does matter what you believe. Because at the end of the day, as consistent people, we want our belief to match our reality. When a surgeon makes a mistake in the operating room and he removes your kidney instead of your liver, you would never say, well, hey, at least he's sincere, you know. (laughs) When a set of parents let a five-year-old play with a wild, rabid badger because they believe that they'll make great companions... We would never say, well, hey, at least they were sincere. At the end of the day, sincerity matters, but sincerity is not enough. And for this reason, I I just want to invite you, if you're a believer in Christ, don't check your brains at the door. Know what you believe and know why you believe what you believe. And if you're investigating faith uh, with us, let me encourage you that um, there is a far deeper reality behind this. And would you consider moving beyond just sincerity and moving towards investigating what is it that Christians believe and why did they believe what they believe? And what are the answers that they have to some of those most important questions we have in life? I just encourage you to press deeper into that. Let me close by saying this, though. Um, Not only do believers in Christ believe that Christianity is true, we also believe that it works. It's not true because it works. It works because it's true. And our understanding of our Christian faith is is deeply meaningful. It's deeply visceral. It's something that goes to the heart and it transforms you from the inside out. And here at Crosspoint, what we're inviting you into is to not just some cognitive, stoic, Spock-life set of beliefs, okay? What we're inviting you into is a deeply transforming relationship with the living God, who is Jesus Christ. You know, I've given you a bunch of uh, some notes in your bulletin today, some ways that you can investigate some of these questions further. Um, If you go around the room today, and if you were to talk to some people about their faith journeys, you would discover that behind it is not just a cognitive set of beliefs, but a life-transforming relationship with Christ. And I wish I could pull up the people I know in the crowd here today, who could tell you the stories of how Jesus radically changed their life from who they were to who they are today. Radically changed. If you want a taste of some of those stories, I encourage you, one of the websites I list on the back page is imsecond.com. And maybe there you can go and you can just investigate some stories and listen to some stories of how the Christian faith is not only true, but it works. And at the end of the day, this is what we're inviting you into. We believe in a God who loves you, who did everything he could to initiate relationship with you, which means sending his own son, Jesus, into the world to give his life as a sacrifice for you so that you don't have to fight your way, try and fight your way into heaven, but Jesus fought for you. And he acknowledges that if you surrender your life to him, he will give you life, eternal, abundant life, good life, and he'll restore your life. He'll transform you from the inside out and change not only you, but the world around you. And this is a relationship we invite people into here at cross point if that's true if that's the reality that's worth investigating further and we hope that you will do that well as we close this morning we're going to celebrate that and we're going to celebrate our king and our lord i'm like the band to come up and i invite you to pray with me so can we pray together So Lord, we um, just acknowledge this morning you are the way and your truth and the life. We thank you that your posture towards us is love and acceptance and you are for us. And God, we just want to celebrate that as your people. Thank you that you are the living, resurrected God who calls us to give our lives to you just as you gave your life for us. God, for those who are struggling here this morning, um, I pray that you would... um, just bring some coherence in their minds, a clarity that clouds would part and light would come and there'd be a sense of clarity about these matters as they explore further what it means um, to be a follower of Jesus. Thanks for this great gift of your son. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast.